Hello, and welcome to the Sister Struggles Podcast. My name is Joanna Jama at Sister Struggles Podcast and at Sister Struggles LLC on IG. And this is my podcast where I dig deeper into redefining self-care as a way for you to listen to your intuition, your needs, create better self-care habits and mindsets that serve you and not the roles you've been given. Then you can free yourself from burnout, people-pleasing, and toxic relationships. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe for new episodes. Guys, what is up? It has been a minute and a lot has happened. Um, How are you? Have you been holding up? How have you been making strides in your self-care? All of the things. It's been it's been a roller coaster. I'm not even gonna lie to you. Um, and I'm gonna get more into this. I'm thinking of having you know just a little bit more of a personal episode a couple seasons down the line. But here with season two, um, I really want to talk more about uh, this conversation, this amazing conversation I had with my guest Renee, who I met at uh, Minorities for Medical Marijuana meeting here in St. Louis and we like instantly connected. Like I already knew that we were going to be cool. Um, and she's also like such an academic and she's a bioengineer, a wellness advocate. She's hella into herbs. And we just have a really great conversation. We dive deep and heavy into uh, the history of black or the history of experimentation on black women, how let's be honest, modern science owes black women, everything, everything. <laughs> and um, just the struggles that we both face as being a black woman in the sciences and uh, just feeling like we don't really have anybody that's got our back. And, and then we learned that we had to be the ones to have our own backs, you know, also the radical approach that she has to reclaim her power as a black woman in this world. And let me tell you, it is not what you think. And I think it's such a smart way to embrace this soft black girl season that we should all be doing. You know, we ain't riding or dying no more. We don't have to die. Uh, We are focused on ourselves. We're focused on our healing and what benefits us, point blank, period. All right, I think that's enough. I rambled. (laughs) So stick around for the episode. Okay, we're on. How's your day? I like your hair. That's dope. Thank you. It's good. I just got it done, like, earlier in between meetings, so. That's cute. Yeah. My friend's getting married this weekend, so I was like, oh. Now's an excuse to dress up, so I should get my hair done. Facts. That's always that's always a reason for me. It's like a it's like a way I like to you know express my creativity. So and I've been putting a lot of color in, especially for the summer. So I don't know. I'm gonna do something different for the fall, probably. Okay. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. So okay, we can just jump in. Um, so we just talk about your background. You can just talk about yourself, have, you know, my audience get to know you a little bit and we can talk about how we met. Okay, cool. So I'm originally from Pittsburgh. Um, I moved out here for grad school and I was interested in studying how biomedical engineers produce products that end up like having racial issues with them. So, you know, it's very common to talk about medical racism in terms of how the doctor treats people, how the nurses treat people. But there's certain devices that have correction buttons on them that literally are like, change this for a black person. And then the reading comes out funny and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. So after, I guess, doing some research Mm -hmm. into like, 
why things the way they were, of course, just ended up being like racism. So that's kind of like my research interest topic, which got me out here. And then I realized like, I, I like biomedical stuff, health and wellness mm-hmm. stuff has just always been so important to me. So once I came out here, um, I was just really happy for a fresh start because undergrad was rough. Like it was, it was great and I had a good time, but like, it was just like, this was black woman in engineering, you know, how like toxic it can be, the hyper competitive environment. So I was just happy to come out here and like, kind of like get to know myself and like explore myself. Um, so I ended up smoking weed because that was just like one of the things that I was able to do like by myself because it was the middle of the pandemic. I was out here. I was trying to figure out how life worked outside of like undergrad and I was getting a chance to work on my mental health. So weed was one of those things that I actually investigated because I liked like I liked how good it felt in terms of like, oh, I can relax with this. Oh, I'm not anxious with this. So it was just, it was part of my health journey, my self-care journey, all of that stuff. And yeah, it got me to the point where I was like, oh, I need to study this because, and all of the like devices and stuff we were trained to like make, it was just like, we Mm -hmm. never really talked about like holistic remedies or remedies of things like, like herbs. Like it was always like we had to build something or incorporate technology into it, which is, you know, great and true. And like, okay, that's my training or whatever. But I just found that like there were a lot of natural solutions that worked very well. So I never Mm -hmm. needed like pharmaceuticals or anything like that for my personal health journey. Not, I'm not against pharmaceuticals at all, but yeah, we just, it became so fascinating where I was like, I'm going to study this. Let me get connected. And then I found M for MM and it was just like, I don't know. We were like made for each other. I feel like so it's been cool since. No, I was going to say facts. Like, it's such a cool vibe. Like, it's such a great collective space for creatives and people from different uh, backgrounds. Like, I listen to some of your podcasts that join Hypothesis podcast. And um, I realized we have a lot of backgrounds. So you touched on you being like a Black woman scientist and all the stuff that you had to deal with with that. And you touched on a lot of things. So I kind of want to start with that because that, I mean, that's a... That's why I started this entire podcast. That's why I started my platform. Mm. I mean, there are so many particular struggles that Black women, especially younger Black women in a science-oriented space have to deal with. Mm. And I, you know, I've worked at Bayer. I have a background being an analytical analytical chemist and scientist, biologist, et cetera. So I'm like right there with you. I'm like, look at what she's doing. But I know you can also relate to those struggles. So like, could you go into that a little bit? Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Joe, I did not know that you were a scientist. I knew you were a bad bitch, but. (laughs) How are you? How are you? We're meant for this. Cause I mean, I knew, I knew it. I was like, go be on a podcast and I don't just ask anybody. So, but anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. I appreciate that. It's about you. Of course. So answering. Yeah. Black woman scientist. Okay. So. (laughs) I know it's a loaded question. (laughs) It is a loaded question, but. I'm, you know, I'm happy to get into it because that's like, I, I love it. And I also love studying the like social culture of it. Like, that's like, I don't know why it's like fascinating to me. It is. It's endless. I'm just like, yeah, like they're just like, you know, like scientists have a very big 
thing on like, oh, everything's supposed to be like neutral and objective. And Mm -hmm. we're we're the forward thinking people of society. We're like supposed to be this very elite group. That's how we identify. We (laughs) call ourselves elite and we make it so that, you know, there's only a few people that can do what we do. And we think that in itself ends up like just being of, of a service. So I feel like we have a very big like entitlement culture and science, but one that like I can agree with that. masks itself as, you know, yeah, like it masks itself as like we we're just doing things for everybody. We're making things better. Like everything that science and technology touches must be something that we should be amazed by and praise someone for. And it's like, no. Like, mm-hmm. if you look into the history of science, it's just like, who, who, mm-hmm. like, especially since you touched on the technology and with black women and just the history of how, um, really these barbaric, I want to say methods, but like, I don't want to, but medical advancements and just black women being tested on. Um, and it's all experimental, you know, people hear about like Tuskegee, but like, there's a whole history about that happening to black women in uh, for many years, decades. So yeah, that's important. Yeah. And it's like a global thing too, because mm-hmm. whatever was happening in Tuskegee, it was happening on some other island, which of course mm-hmm. black women, you know, were, were part of that island. So it's just like, and you know, at Tuskegee, they were letting people die of syphilis, which was terrible considering they had a cause but at this island they were injecting people with it Mm -hmm. so the levels of violence that the medical community the scientific community like that has not only done historically you know trying to experiment on us with terms of giving birth and not giving us anesthesia but like I mean even just the things now where you see different trials come out for different technologies. And even if it's not something that is as violent, it's like when you're more in the like the riskier stages, the first stages of stuff, and you have this product that you want to test, you know where mm-hmm. they go? They go and they go into our communities and they say, I'll give you $20. And they know you need a $20. 100%. So it's like science has been, has been working on us, has been using us, has been benefited off of the black community, even though science has this narrative there's like this, this strong narrative that black people are disconnected from science and black people have actively been punished from mm-hmm. science while simultaneously like freaking being responsible for how things have advanced. Like it's insane. It's insane. Man, hundred yeah. percent. I just love hearing you talk about this because these are such important issues and it's, and it's, I'm, what can I say? I am happy that a lot of these issues are coming to the forefront and people are educating themselves, but at the same time, it's been here. It's been here. So um, as far as the history with what black mm-hmm. women had to deal with and to connect it to what you were talking about earlier, knowing all of that, just working mm-hmm. in that science space and then having a love for science, obviously, but then knowing all that history, how did you, how were you able to kind of meld that into your life and be okay with it and make it push you? Um, I wasn't. And that's exactly what made the like major change because I literally like, so I've been doing health advocacy like work since I was 17, like starting with like my grandmother. So I lived with my grandparents in my teenage years. Um, And you know how it is when you live with the elderly, they often get sick. They often have things wrong with them. So it would be like, oh, 
hey, can you go look up this surgery that I'm about to have? Like, I want to know all the information about it because my grandma's a preacher and like people also don't think that like the church is interested in science, but believe me, she knows everything about every medical condition she has down to the like cellular level of what's happening in there. And it's just like, she's so smart, but she's always been interested in me doing like helping her out and helping her understand like, what are my test results? Mm -hmm. So she doesn't use the internet. So I'm like doing this like, translational work for her so I was always having that like issue of okay I was doing that before I went to before I went to school for it so then as I was like building stuff it it just got to a point where I was like I'm making stuff that's not gonna help my loved ones like this sucks like they have access to all these outdated technologies Mm -hmm. like they have access to these outdated hospitals they have this inadequate care and they have like science that like reflects you know her getting a score corrected because she's black, but that score is actually her kidney function. And them lowering the score means that she's less likely to get the help that she needs. Right. That's not like, that's a fact right there. And like, yeah, you have like a lot of activists trying to undo it. But like at the time it was just like, uh, uh-uh, like this is like a problem. And it's like something that keeps coming up. It keeps coming up. My other grandma was in the hospital, the same hospital that we did this project on for a senior design project with a surgeon. So we were like making this like device for a surgeon, literally one floor below where my my grandma was at. And it was like the quality of where she was staying and where I was working with her. I was like, this this doesn't make sense. So I was like, I'm going to study racism and biomedical engineering. And everyone was like, Mm -hmm. what? like education and I was like no <laughs> like public health and I was like maybe sure and then I talked to all the public health people and they're a little gatekeepy so a lot of them didn't want me but I realized too that public health often still points at black people for being the problem mm-hmm. so I was like no I'm trying to like look at something that is beyond like blaming us for our individual behaviors. I want to talk about society being a problem. Yes. And somebody told me I could do that in sociology. So that's why I made the like switch and people like some of my engineering friends are like, you're not in engineering anymore. And I'm like, I am just, you know, outside in because I wanted to make things. I wanted to make a whole system of improving things rather than just be someone who tries to commit to making things better one thing at a time. Facts, man. That's. It sounds like you obviously used your grandmother's experiences to fuel your own journey. Like, And that's amazing because historically, again, Black women are always paving the way. And if you can't find you know, the path or the seat at the table, you got to build the seat, build the table. And I think that's amazing that you were doing that because like you said, there's a lot of activists and there are people that are doing this work, but we need more of us doing this work. And our generation, I believe, and younger are, you know, have a lot of this education right now. And I feel like we also have activism as a passion because we just kind of see the direction the world is going in and we can't rely on anyone else to take care of us. um, And we have to do it within the community because that's the only thing that we can do. So that's amazing that you're doing that. Thank you. Thank you. It's really exciting. I feel like the see like when I moved to St. Louis and I saw how big like the activist scene was like the ways that like black people cared for each other, the ways that poor people cared for each other, the ways that queer people cared for each other, the ways that like black, brown and yeah. Latinx people cared for each other. I was like, Oh, 
y'all show up for each other deep. Like there's something special about the city. Like I will tell everybody, like it felt like home, like instantly. Like I knew it was the space for me here because y'all right. don't play about that. Y'all don't play about your community. Man, I'm so glad you brought that up too, because I used to want to leave uh, St. Louis just because, you know, talking about some of the socioeconomic issues were incredibly segregated. And I grew up in the county and I chose to move to the city as like post-college and as an adult, because I recognized that this felt more like my city and it's grown. The diversity here is crazy. And you're hundred percent right. Like we come out for our people harder than anybody else. And then especially with like M for MM. It's just beautiful to see because I just feel like I grew up with a interesting background of where I felt like I couldn't or I, I did not and was not able to embrace, you know, my blackness as much, to be completely honest, even though I'm of a Kenyan heritage. Um, and then I'm sure I won't even go into this, but, you know, the difference between like or uh, the which I say there's a little bit of like conflict between African-Americans and Africans. Um, and I feel like within that community as well. So um, just being able to find a hub where people can have uh, similar interests within our community, which we really need, because I mean, St. Louis is like, it's really interesting because we're kind of a big city in a weird way. We're not Chicago or nothing, but like, we still kind of stay small. Mm -hmm. We have, it's all about word of mouth. Like we have amazing food here. And it's all about like the way that we talk to each other and share that information. And and like, I see a lot of small businesses and black small businesses, especially and black owned even more so, uh, more than I've ever seen in the last couple of years. And uh, it's just beautiful to see. It's beautiful to see those changes amongst everything mm. else. Yeah. I feel like every time I talk to someone from St. Louis, I get that similar, you know, and I talk about how happy I am to be here and they're like, you know, there's a lot of black people are like, I'm so glad to hear that. Like, it's almost like a relief. And I feel like from what I've like learned and even leaving my own place, it's like when you are constantly told that like where you live is bad, where you live is harmful, where you live is violent, mm -hmm. where you live is a problem. It's like, it's hard to see anything else. Like you can't see anything other than that. You described it perfectly. Yeah, we were like, we've been shit on forever. We're the flyover state. St. Louis is never ranked. I used to get mad because I'm like, concerts never come here. Nobody ever shows out here. <laughs> like, so yeah, no, for sure. We built it up. We've been able to build it up. And I think it's been community based, but I really think it's, it's, it's the black community. For real. And it's just like, too, on top of that, a lot of the problems that that negative narrative has were directly caused by just evil people like i'm talking about like you know what i'm talking about i'm talking about those political those super people who are just like you're like wow how did mm -hmm. they like tear down a whole community like they just they just did that over and over again they just stole all those people's homes and gave them like five dollars for it like they literally made poverty so like because they could because they could. And the history of colonization, why wouldn't they just repeat mm -hmm. and continue to do the same thing over and over again mm -hmm. when it's worked? It's worked for them. And obviously, I feel like they do it in so many other different ways here, um, you know, with like um, professional sports, you know, different mm -hmm. institutions of slavery, the, you know, private prisons, you know, that's not this podcast, but, you know, we talk about everything here. Um, and I think it's all important. And like, hey, that's a struggle for sisters. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Oh my God. A hundred percent. That is that. Nobody talks about the effect on black women that that has. So, but um, let's talk about your podcast. Talk about herbs. Yeah. What got you into that? Like what made you decide to do that? Because I, I love weed, cannabis, marijuana, whatever you want to call it. I just want to let you guys know mm-hmm. it all means the same thing. Some, some of it sounds fancier than others, but I was just so fascinated by like, there was a whole, like, like, obviously when you're high, like you, like your mind is just like expanded. Like you are creative, mm-hmm. you know, not sometimes, but you know, a lot of the times you are creative. You just are like thinking about things that you would never think about because your mind is just so much more open. And I just like just kept being fascinated by all of the like I guess creative thoughts that were produced for myself from smoking and me and my friends would just get on the phone and talk and like Mm -hmm. I got science posters in my bathroom and my bathroom is where I can smoke because that's where the smoke alarm ain't at yes (laughs) so I'd be looking around at my posters like yeah and at one one day I made a joke and I was like joint hypothesis my joint hypothesis is that, and then I said something, some stupid theory. And he was just like, hey, that's hilarious. And I was just like, I like the way that sounds. <laughs> there were just so many different concepts that we were just talking about. Cause I was like, it's crazy how I can smoke weed of like, yeah, do I come from a poor background? Yes. Do I come from black background? Yes. But right now I'm a PhD student who's at an elitist university. So I got all this privilege and I can consume weed legally now with my medical card. And it's like, my family can't, you know? So I was just so, I was so torn at the idea that like something was so freeing for me and I didn't have to deal with any of the stigma that a lot of people who like are smoking deal with just because I wasn't around you know, I wasn't in an environment where I was going to be put down or like we wasn't negatively associated with it. Like in higher ed, first off, there's a lot of stoners and otherwise, you know, they don't pay like they're not minding your business like that. They might cause you a lot of other problems, but they're not looking into your habits like that. So I was just like, damn, it seems like white collar work. You can just toke up like you can do you can not only just do weed but you can do whatever drugs you want. But if you show up on Monday and get whatever you need to get done and you're functional, there's no judgment. So I just, Agreed. it was the social issues that was getting me. It was the science issues that were getting me. It was just the fact that there's so little health. There's so, there's so little health research on it just because of the war on drugs that every time I went to Google, like, you know, how does weed interact with like PTSD, for example, which I was really interested in for my, like, mm-hmm. you know, remedying my personal mental health. And like, there's not very much on it and all the results are mixed. And sometimes you see something of interest and you're like, I wonder if they actually looked into that chemical pathway more if, you know, there's something that was like of use. And like the answer almost is like, no, there's just one or two papers about it. So I was just like, there's so much knowledge about weed and it's not in the science community. So where is it? Where Mm -hmm. is it? You talk about the, the gatekeepers. You talk about the gatekeepers. 
Because now look at look at who and everybody is involved everybody. in the cannabis industry. We've got Anheuser Bush involved in the cannabis industry, from the parents to the sons to the cousins. Everybody's woven in there. So it's like they let us have it whenever they get to profit right. off of it, and that's the that's definitely what gets me. So it's like it's 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 amazing to be able to like take back the community in a way through your own work, um, but then also just within like mm m for mm as well. Yeah, I just like I'm really grateful I met you. I'm really grateful I met a lot of people through M for MM because here's the thing. Wow, yeah, scientists now are getting into it. Corporations are now getting into it. But you know who always knew about it? Weed dealers. Right. Black weed dealers, brown weed dealers, poor white weed dealers. So it's like there is there is knowledge. And the knowledge is centered. It can never be centered in these businesses. The only thing they can do, the only thing they can do is take what we already know and make money off of it. So Mm -hmm. I feel like if I'm now in the position where people want to listen to my platform because I'm in school and I'm not going to lie, a degree don't mean shit. PhD doesn't mean you're smart. Oh, no, I agree with that as well. Like, (laughs) like, sorry, that's the truth. I I have zero regrets. I don't care. Um, But it's just like this knowledge is coming from the streets. So I'm really happy to have this where like everybody who's been like on the podcast in the first season, they're St. Louisans. They're St. Louisans. And like, it's a buy us for us type of initiative. Like, yeah, we bring on a dispensary for one episode because we want to know what's happening in the the business world too. We want to know. We want parts. So I'm like, yeah, no, this centers us though. This is a hundred percent. And like centering black women, I feel like is even more important because mm, people don't even talk about black women in weed. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing right there. I was just about to say, I was like, do we crack into that? Because, um, yeah, just in general, like the amount, again, the amount of small businesses I see, but black women own that are specifically in cannabis and even hearing about, um, who you had on your podcast, uh, Teresa, I believe that was her name. Yeah. Teresa about tea time. Mm -hmm. I was like, look at all these amazing women putting their ideas together, you know, and then they're come, like you said, it centers us. So it's coming from within. And it's giving back to the community things that we need, you know, because it it really does come back to nature. I'm a big all about being outside. I have a thousand plants and I mean, you could, oh, you could see them anyway. I have a thousand plants in my house because I really do think that it it brings us back to who we really are. And like, far as self-care is concerned, like that's also what brings us back to who we really are. And so you use herbs for your self-care. I assume, because you said also with like, you talked about anxiety and PTSD. What other ways do you practice your self-care? Like, um, okay. So I'm just going to turn around and show you my plants too, because I feel like we have to show each other plants. <laughs> yes. Oh, you have a whole floor of it. I love it. You can never have too many. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, self-care. A uh, lot of things. A lot of things. So herbs, I don't only smoke marijuana, but I smoke flowers because flowers have the same terpenes that weed does. Yes. So like, which is why, you know, Teresa of Official Tea Times talked about a lot of the different things. Like we put lavender Mm -hmm. in our stuff to calm us down. So I'm consuming herbs in my weed, but I'm also consuming them in tea form. And I'm also making simple syrups out of them. And I'm also making a homemade cough medicine. So when my throat feels a little scratchy, I'm I'm drinking that up before I even get sick. And I don't have to worry about getting to the NyQuil stage. 
So um, I love herbs, um, yoga. I'm really big on like anything that can like stretch me out, ring me out. But like yoga is so great. I play soccer like two to five times a week. I love soccer. That's so cool. That's such a child, like all about bringing back the childlike activities. Like I feel like we don't do stuff like that anymore. And you know what? The group I play with, it's, I love it particularly because it's racially diverse. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are from different countries, different, like they are all over, but there's never any women. And there's maybe other, two to three other women who I've seen in the like year I've played and none of them are ever black. None of them are ever even brown, actually. So I'm just like, yeah, we got to get more black women in soccer. I would really love to make a black woman's pick up soccer league because I think we deserve something nice and casual and a safe space. That would be amazing. So you said you left off on yoga and stretching out Um, your body. You said soccer. (laughs) Can I ask you if you could dive a little bit more into like, because on this podcast, it's called Social Struggles because particularly I like to talk about people pleasing habits and toxic relationships and just the types of things we get caught up in when we don't speak up for ourselves. And I think that that is the stereotype and unfortunately played out, you know, the myth of the strong black woman. And it's something that I no longer carry myself and I push other black women to not no longer carry because it's not our burden to carry. And it's also not a role that we um, particularly always want to play. Sometimes it's a role we're kind of thrown into and we're just like, all right, I guess we're just doing this and we're not going to ask questions or try, you know, because we want other people to be comfortable before we make sure that our priority or that we are our own priority and our needs are met, you know? Yeah. Like in your daily life, because like for me, I love to say no. So like that's that's a personal self-care thing. Like I say yes if I'm really down. And it's hard for me because I'm an empath and I always feel bad and I'm like, I don't know what they, I don't want to be upset. Maybe they need me, Mm -hmm. but it's like, I need myself more. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sometimes I need myself more. I need my alone time. So that was a long example, but that's, yeah. Uh, yes. Oh my gosh. You are, just so you know, you're dropping all these like black feminist thought dimes out there. Like Patricia Hill Collins would be so proud of you. That is the author of Black Feminist Thought. Um, I was going to say that is a compliment. Mm-hmm. That is a compliment. Um, just how you use you self-care and your daily life. Ah, yeah. 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 Okay. Crying. I'm a cry baby. I cry all the time. I love crying. Yeah. That's a good one. I cry in public spaces. I cry in private. Like I cry in front of strangers. If I need to cry, I'm, I cry at school. I cry in class. I cry when I'm talking to professors. And it's like, because I was raised like to just deal with the most traumatic things and keep them in. So now if it needs to come out, it comes out. It's real radical because it's like, you be crying. In fr- yes. And honestly, a lot of times professors who don't feel it's also like I feel like a personal strategic, like like a a strategy type of thing, because Mm -hmm. a lot of times people, like you said, they believe we're strong. They believe we don't need any help. They're not taking us seriously. So they see them tears and they're like, oh, shoot, like. It's distress. Right. You can't help but read distress. So just like that's been one of my ways to actually reclaim my power is that like, no, I'm going to show you I'm down and out and I need your help. Like if you're not going to help me, 
Like, this is how it is. Or if I'm upset and I need to let it out, because sometimes mm-hmm. I'll be like, I just need a moment. Like, I feel like this. And just keep going. It makes me feel so much more valid. So much more valid. And I'm not stuck because, like, for me before, my biggest obstacle on being able to, like, do, like, I feel like creative projects or literally anything outside of what Mm -hmm. was being asked to do, like, somebody asked me to do for them, whether it be school or, like, whoever I worked for or, like, home, like, I was not able to just, like, do what I wanted. I wasn't able to, like, like, really just, like, be free and it I mean like do anything like there's no way I could have done this podcast before because I was always caught up in how I felt Mm -hmm. and I always felt so much shame in how I felt like if you met me three years ago you would not know you would not recognize me because I like the level of anxiety that I had on my body 24 7 it was ridiculous so yeah I just I like, there was just so much pent up with me and I was crying then. But at the time I was like trying to, you know, shove all my tears back in and not knowing how to express it. And now I'm like, oh, wow, I can do whatever I want. (laughs) My feelings are valid. (laughs) Like, I don't have to like get caught up in how I feel about stuff and like think that like that makes me a terrible person because often you just get in that trap before you even end up like you just get on that loop on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. And then you just, you can't do anything. You're paralyzed. So I think that holds a lot of us back is that we just feel so much shame about our emotions. And we got to learn how to just feel how we feel. Cause somebody's going to think you're an angry black woman. Somebody's going to think you're mad. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to think you're too soft. At the same time, they think you're too mad. Somebody's going to think you're not a good enough communicator when you're telling them straight up how you feel. Like, and that's happened many times in my program. Like that's the one, you know, Like, people are going to think what they are going to think about you. So if you want to be free, you are going to have to retrain yourself and say, how do I want to be treated? Because if you tell people how to treat you, then they have the opportunity to change and treat you accordingly. 100%. And if you don't, you're going to have to live with that anyways. So why not just do what you want? Because you're going to be judged either way. I'm I'm not going to lie. And with that, I think that's the perfect place to stop for part one. Um, I really want to reiterate the last thing that Renee said. You're going to be judged no matter what. So you just might as well be free and you might as well do whatever the fuck you want within reason, of course. Let's not get crazy. But I think she really just highlighted the fact that her emotions matter. They're valid and she shouldn't have to keep suffering in silence and holding it in because it's not benefiting in any, anyone and it's especially hurting her. So I'm so glad that she lives such a freeing life. And I hope that that is an amazing lesson to you guys that you can also make these choices for yourself. She definitely dropped some solid gems. So I hope that you guys took some of those to heart. So next week, part two is the plan. Uh, so tune in to the second half of our conversation and I will see you next week. Thank you guys again for tuning in to an episode of Sister Struggles. So please rate, review, subscribe, and just let me know what you think. And I would love to hear what you guys would love to hear on future episodes. Look out for new episodes every Sunday.